Why do you support refugees? I support refugees because my family were refugees. I support refugees because we are all God's children and we all deserve a safe place to grow in God's love. I support refugees because God made us all in God's image. I support refugees because I am a legal guardian of a minor asylee named Carol from Burundi. I support refugees because my Lord was a refugee. Because I welcome and I love my neighbor. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries. I'm Allison Duvall. And I'm Kendall Martin. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. We are pleased to share the recording from our June 16th webinar, Episcopal Action on Resettlement Week, the second webinar in our series, Love God, Love Neighbor, Episcopal Month of Action. Episcopal Migration Ministries, in partnership with the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations, has been offering three weeks of webinars geared toward advocacy action on DACA, refugee resettlement, and asylum. In the webinar you're going to hear today, we came together to pray, to hear from a panel of folks who were resettled to the U.S. through the Refugee Resettlement Program, and to learn next steps that we can all take to advocate for and in support of refugees. We want to extend our thanks to everyone who attended the webinar to learn how to take action for the Refugee Resettlement Program, and we are so very grateful to our panelists who gave of their time and shared their stories with us. You will hear all of the panelists introduce themselves at the beginning of the webinar. We hope you enjoy today's recording, and we encourage you to access the Advocacy Toolkit available on our website at www.episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash World Refugee Day. Welcome. We are so glad that you are here for today's webinar, Episcopal Action on Resettlement. This is the second in a three-part series called Love God, Love Neighbor, Episcopal Month of Action. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Kendall Martin, to give us the agenda for the day. Kendall, over to you. Thanks, Allison. Today's webinar, we're going to begin with a brief framing, and then we're going to move to an introduction of all of our panelists, followed by a prayer and reflection from the Reverend Eshmael Despot. We'll then move into a round of questions with our panelists. We will pray, and then we will have an overview of the current status of the resettlement program, and then specific advocacy steps that we can all take. And we will close our times together with an open Q&A, and then we will all move to action. Today's webinar is the second of three webinars in our Love God, Love Neighbor Episcopal Month of Action. And last week, we covered DACA. Today is resettlement. And next week, we will learn how to take action for asylum. There are a few things I want to note before we jump into introductions and kick off the webinar. We want to acknowledge that not only are we living in a time of uncertainty and fear from a global pandemic, but we are also experiencing deep pain and movement as a nation to confront systemic racism and police brutality. We are living in a moment that calls us to act for social justice and practice radical love. Today's webinar is an opportunity for you to learn tangible ways you can advocate for the more than 25.9 million refugees worldwide. Refugees are children, women and men forced to flee their homes due to persecution, conflict, or fear of death. Refugee resettlement is a life-saving program to the world's most vulnerable. Episcopal Migration Ministries is the Refugee Resettlement and Welcome Ministry of the Episcopal Church, 
and is one of only nine national agencies through which all refugees enter the United States. We work in partnership with a network of 13 affiliate agencies, as well as dioceses, churches, and volunteers across the country to welcome and support refugees. Historically, the United States has been a world leader in the work of refugee resettlement, but in 2019, the Trump administration set the refugee admission level to 18,000, the lowest number ever set by a president since the 1980 Refugee Act. The refugee resettlement program has been systematically broken apart and threatened by the current administration. It's more important than ever that we show our support of the resettlement program and we advocate for continued refugee welcome. Now I'm gonna turn it over to Rashad Thomas to begin our introduction. Hello everyone, my name is Rashad Thomas and I am a policy advisor in the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations um, in Washington, DC. And I'm joining you from my home in Maryland. My name is Allison Duval, and I am the manager for church relations and engagement for Episcopal Migration Ministries, coming to you from my home in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Kendall Martin. I'm the communications manager for Episcopal Migration Ministries. And I'm so grateful that everyone's here. And before our panelists introduce themselves, I wanted to note that the first conversation we will have with them will be a panel interview that Allison, Rashad, and myself um, we'll moderate, and then we'll have an open Q&A time toward the end of the webinar. Joel, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, uh, my name is Joel Majok. Uh, I was born uh, in South Sudan, came to the United States uh, 18 years ago. I'm currently a warden at a small chapel here in Syracuse, New York. It's a chapel where all the congregations are South Sudanese uh, and Dinka speakers to be specific. Hello, my name is Lala Hiliza. Um, I'm currently a rising senior at Sewanee, the University of the South, our city international and global studies um, and women and gender studies. Um, I currently live in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, and I was born in Sudan to South Sudanese parents. Hello, my name is Tiso. Uh, I'm currently living in Smyrna, Tennessee, and uh, I currently live in Smyrna, Tennessee, and uh, I'm the youth leader here, and I'm originally from Burma, and I've been living here uh, for 12 years. Thank you, Tiso, and I want to give thanks to the Reverend Eshmael Desbad for um, joining us today and offering our prayer and reflection. He is the Associate Priest at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Woodbury, Connecticut. So would you please introduce yourself, Father Eshmael? Okay. My name is Eshmael Deshkot. I'm also a hospice chaplain and a priest in charge in a cross church in Watertown. And I live in Connecticut at Nagatak. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. And now we're going to move into our time of prayer and reflection. Um, I start with the reflection, and then uh, I use the San Francisco Assisi prayer I, to uh, continue our conversation. Okay. There, my reflection is based on the Gospel of Matthew 28, 16-20, verse 16-20. In today's Gospel reading, Jesus invites his disciples to find a new normal in their lives. Jesus was with them and he was there physically, 
before his crucifixion and after his resurrection, he visited his disciples several times. He inspired them to connect with him spiritually. And he claims that he is with them or us until the end of ages. He encourages his disciples by telling them to go. What, that, what does this mean? They cannot go back. They cannot stay there. They need to find a destination and follow directions. This is similar to the pandemic, the justice movement and caring for human beings that we face today. Currently, there is no way to go back to the life we had per. We need to move forward and find a new destination normal. Where did they go? To all the nation of the world, Jesus invites his followers to come out of their comfort zones, go beyond their experience and have an adventure. The Roman emperor invaded so many countries and cultures. They lived together. However, their only way of interaction was by business. They were able to travel anywhere in the Roman territory. Now Jesus told his disciples to contact all nations beyond ways, business, and legal. What did they need to do? Make a disciples. Everyone is invited to follow Jesus. This happened and church were established around the world and people from all nations and cultures and different backgrounds united in the name of Jesus. How they were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is a perfect relation that's based on the unconditional loves that bring a unity, harmony, and understanding. All of us in the church were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are initiated by our baptism, by the power of love and unity that exists in God to join and be the body of Christ in this world. Let us go back to our baptism covenant and read it again with an open heart, mind, and spirit. Let us remember what we promise to follow and to be a part of. I will start with a question uh, after uh, Creed. And uh, please just, uh, if you can, uh, join me. But before respond, I would like you just give a moment and think about whatever I read to you. Will you continue in the apostle teaching and fellowship in the 
breaking of the bread and in their prayer. Now we can respond. I will with God's help. Will you preserve in resisting evil and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? I will with God's help. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? I will with God's help. Will you seek and serve Christ in all person, loving your neighbors as yourself? I will with God's help. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect and respect the dignity of every human being? I will with God's help. Just if you have a moment and just thinking about whatever we heard. Let me finish with the St. Francis Assisi prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not too much seek to be consoled as to be consoled, to be understood as to be understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that reflection and for leading us through prayer. Now we're going to transition to our conversation with our panelists, Chol, Lala, and Tiso. Again, we want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And we're going to have a round-robin style conversation, and Rashad is going to start us off. Again, uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, very excited to have you all here. Um, the first question is, uh, we'd love to hear you tell us about yourselves and your family, where you were born, and what transpired that led you and, or your family to resettle in the United States. And we'll start with Chol. Well, thank you for having me. Um, <clears throat> I was born in South Sudan. Um, one of the lost boys moved out of my village due to war to seek uh, better places uh, for safety. Um, eventually, that journey led me to be a refugee in, in, in Kenya, where I stayed for seven years and eventually resettled uh, to the United States. Uh, I'm one of uh, nine children, uh, uh, youngest 
a middle child, um, younger from my mother's side. Um, I've been here in the United States for 18 years. When I got to the United States, I came through uh, unaccompanied minors, which is a foster care system that, that uh, sponsored children that uh, are brought to the United States as young and uh, are not adult yet. And in that, I uh, came to the United States as, uh, as I would call myself, a, uh, a born again New American uh, to seek better life and to seek better opportunities and to really uh, see what life has to offer. So uh, that's how I came to the United States and that is my family. Hello everyone. Um, as I stated as well, I was born in Sudan, the capital of Khartoum, two South Sudanese parents. Um, and then we moved to Lebanon and the Middle East. And then was eventually, we were resettled in Cleveland, Tennessee, um, and then moved to Knoxville a couple of years later. Um, I'm not really sure exactly why we came to America. I know we came um, as refugees. Um, and given there were some political and economic and social kind of turmoils that were happening that eventually kind of like with my family to come here. Um, but it's a very, very difficult conversation for my family, my parents to speak on. Uh, but I hope one day I'll be able to talk about that and talk about their experiences before um, immigrating to America. Tiso, you're still mute. Oh, oh yes, uh, I thought I thought she is not here. She, uh, hello, my name is Tiso. Uh, 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 like I said, I'm originally from Burma, but uh, I was born in Thailand due to active war in uh, Burma. So uh, yeah, pretty much uh, we moved to a couple of different uh, refugee camps. But one of the camps, I think, I believe, I stayed. We stayed there for uh, eleven years, and then the. That the United States, United States give us options on where we can go, and we just uh, uh, we we actually try to apply for Australia, but the process will take two years. So the United States easier to come because uh, because <laughs> I guess the the United Nations uh, saw that we have nowhere to go. So uh, I guess uh, that's definitely um yeah definitely uh, the, yeah that's uh, that's where I'm from and. Uh, I'm excited for this uh, uh, webinar. Thank you so much. And depending on your age when you came to the United States, um, what was your life or your family's like what, once you came to the U.S.? Did you find people who supported you and helped you as you were acclimating to life here? So as as I, I got to the United States when I was uh, 16 years old. And um, <clears throat> again, I, I refer myself to myself as a charity child. And what I mean by that is um, before coming to the United States, I had lost my mother when I was two years old. My father being a, a, a South Sudan Liberation uh, Army soldier uh, fighting for, South, for the present day South Sudan. So pretty much I, I, I lived and I grew up through the mercy and support of other people, uh, helping me out and guiding me where I, where, where I could find that. 
coming to the United States here, I ran into the same thing when I came here and went into foster care. Um, I was able to, I, I met so many people in the foster care system and in the social life of American uh, society. Uh, some of it being that, you know, when you get into churches, uh, they are very merciful and helpful people that, that we, we met. I personally met and many of my colleagues as Lost Boy have met. Um, they brought us so many things that we didn't have. For example, many of us came with just backpack. That's all we had. And, and you know, many of us never been to, to civilized cities. Uh, therefore, we didn't have running water. We didn't have other things. But through the generosity of many uh, Episcopalian uh, Catholics and Methodists, we were able to, to, be, to be received and, and, and helped a lot here in the United States. So churches, folks, case workers, uh, just, just uh, a good number of people that came together and saw that we were people in need and they were able to provide that for us and helped us out. So really grateful for that. Similar to Chol, um, the church really, really, really helped in my family's integration process into America. Um, as I said, uh, we were first resettled to Cleveland, Tennessee, which is just about like 30 minutes um, north of Chattanooga. Um, and yeah, some of my earliest memories were, you know, with my church, um, with my youth group. And it's really cool to, you know, when I'm driving through Chattanooga or Cleveland to go to Sewanee to visit uh, that church because I have some very fond memories um, from there. And yeah, that's kind of started my formation to the person I am today. Um, and so uh, we moved to Knoxville a couple of years later uh, as my father got a new job there. And um, we are also recommended in the Episcopal Church there as well, where I've been an active member um, ever since. And so um, yeah, the church has helped in a tremendous ways from honestly, like absolutely everything. Um, and it's also, you know, helped me uh, be the student, the rising senior that I am um, entering my final year at the University of the South, where I have the uh, privilege to continue my school work by being a sacristan um, and, you know, just living and embodying um, my, the, the Episcopal tradition, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, my name is Tisa again. Uh, yeah, I got, uh, I got to the United States, uh, I believe when I was uh, 13, uh, around 13, and then pretty much, uh, uh, I have, like I, like I told some of my friends, uh, Sorry, sorry, somebody just called my phone. Uh, yeah, when I first got here, uh, I got a lot of, uh, it's a little bit difficult because uh, when I got here, uh, we we have no translator. I mean, we might have it, but it's very rare due to the fact that we are uh, we are the first generation to uh, to come to the United States. And uh, it's, it's pretty difficult uh, to start everything from the beginning. Uh, I mean, sorry. It's a different story from where I'm from. I mean, there's, uh, you don't see the light. You don't see the future where I'm from. Just all you see is you are stuck there until you die. You either, like I said, sometimes you you can either become a 
teacher, a soldier, or some people can do a, become a seminaries uh, person. That's what I was thinking when I was uh, when I was late. I, I wanted to be a priest, but things changed. But maybe in the future, I always think of doing uh, working for God in the future, do a better job. But as of now, I'm just an activist uh, working on my community uh, around America and uh, around the world. Uh, but for me, rather, I'm just currently attending All Saints Episcopal Church. It's Mother Tennessee, and I'm just. Uh, I just help translate, and sometimes uh, I help uh, organize the choir with with my fellow youth. There. Yeah, from uh, the current people perspective, if you're not married yet, you can still you can still be part of the youth. Thanks, Tiso, and I think all of you are already doing the work of God, even if you're not ordained. <laughs> you're all, all doing that work. Um, my question for all three of you is if you could tell us about your life today, your family, your friends, your work, your academics, um, your aspirations, and if you'd like to also um, your thoughts on um, what's going on currently in the United States. So I'll, I'll turn it to, to Chul. Well, to start with family, um, I'm a married man. Um, thanks be to God. I have five children. Uh, they range from uh, nine, seven, five, three, and one. Um, been married to my wife for going to 10 years. Uh, she's also a South Sudanese, as well as uh, she's the, uh, say, uh, from the same tribe as I am. She's Dinka. In terms of work, I, I currently do two things uh, professionally. I am uh, a director of workforce development in the city of Syracuse, New York. Uh, also, I am currently uh, the first uh, former refugee to ever be elected uh, to city council in the city of Syracuse, New York, and as well as the county of Anadaga. And in terms of academics, uh, I just finished my doctoral uh, work uh, about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, actually. Um, uh, I, I did uh, study in uh, civic political engagement with Sub-Saharan African uh, immigrants. So I did focus group. And, and that's um, as far as my academic goes. In terms of uh, community outlook, uh, like I said earlier, I am currently the chair of the, uh, the uh, vestry uh, uh, warden the warden, senior warden in, in my church. And uh, I have a couple other boards that I'm on, such as the, uh, the same, I'm on the board of the organization that I was in the foster care system for. So uh, that, that is that, um, and I'll, I'll pass it on to my colleagues. Hey guys, um, so yes, I am a rising senior at Sony University South. Our city international global studies and basically that's kind of what um, I've been doing for the past few years um, I'm currently back at home due to COVID just working and things like that um, at Swanee I had the privilege of studying refugee integration actually in Jordan a fall 2019 which was an extraordinary experience I studied Syrian refugee integration in the context of Jordan and I studied in, uh, refugee integration as a whole in Geneva, Switzerland, 
which is a hub for all things international. Um, the UN is stationed there, uh, so is the Red Cross, UNHCR. Um, so it's been really, really, really uh, fun uh, studying this um, topic. Um, it's really helped me do a lot of like, reflection on myself and my privilege um, as coming of children of refugees and kind of like what I want to kind of do later in life and um, trying to find a way to combine my interest with the church and setting refugee integration um, together and I think like this panel is a great start to that so I'm really hoping it'll like guide me in my future decisions. Hello I'm just uh, uh, for me I'm just uh I'm just, I just finished, I just got my associate degree. I'm not like Joe, got his uh, PhD. I would also uh, uh, plan on uh, continuing my education in the future. But as of right now, I'm being that, uh, you know, life is not always go the way we plan it. But I also I always uh, do my best to uh, improve. There are certain, there are many things going on in life sometimes. And like I said, as currently, I'm just, I'm I'm always thinking of on uh, what I'm going to do next in life. I'm just currently working as a general laborer, just just regular person for now. But I will always change. I will, I'm planning on changing my career in the future. But it takes plans. It takes time. But like I said, I always uh, the other things I do is I just when I get a chance, I, I travel uh, around the United States uh, to help. Uh, I work with the community. America and every year uh, I always plan to go back and I actually went back there this year and to see uh, the reality and help uh, fix the problem uh, where I'm from it's it's, it's pretty difficult uh, I'll always always hope for the best uh, this year the election is coming up we always we always always hope to have a good leader but we always end up having the one and always, and I have the bad one, but always uh, hope you guys pray for us so we can have a leader who work for their people, not for the enemy. And my, our next question is about um, how your, your faith has impacted your life and your involvement in the Episcopal Church. So for me, I, um, my faith is everything to me. Um, I was baptized in 1989 uh, in, uh, wasn't exactly my village, but through the turmoils and pathway that I had taken, um, I got saved through there. And um, like I said earlier, being an orphan, I, I had to find something to lean on, something that you know, because everything that I was going through, all the life that I was living then was such a disappointment, considering that I was constantly running and constantly moving and, and you know, didn't, didn't really get the, the, the love that I, that I needed as a child. Uh, so I had to find a way, uh, something that I would hold on to, 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 to trust and believe and, 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 and know that it's, it's never going to leave. And that was my faith. Um, so in, in that sense, uh, my prayers, my, uh, my leaning on God has, has, has been the most trusted 
think in my life. And for that, it has, it has brought me here into the United States, their faith, uh, that the same faith that I believe in God has lifted me out of starvation camps, you know, days of going with no food, hoping, hoping and calling for, and, and hoping and wishing for help. But through faith, I was able to get through that. And then coming to the United States, through that faith, I was able to be connected to, to, to good people here, especially in the Episcopal church system. Uh, being able to have so many, especially uh, having our diocese here as, as very, very supportive to us, uh, to our families, uh, to our well-being. So just having the faith has allowed me to build a community that I, I call mine. Wow, this question actually is making me tear up a little bit. Um, as I said, <clears throat> I grew up in the United States, and so um, my parents don't really talk about their hardships um, and to them. Um, and I grew up um, very, very involved in Episcopal Church, as I said, um, and Swania as well. And I don't know, the Episcopal Church is basically all I've ever known, um, just being very active. Um, and then I worked at Barbara C. Harris Episcopal Camp um, in summer of 2018, going to Sewanee. It's just kind of like all I've ever known. And um, I just really love and appreciate the church because it's not afraid of confronting its, its past, which is not necessarily always a positive one. Um, I'm able to question things and not be ridiculed or, you know, just, you know, being judged. Um, you know, able to really explore my faith and um, question and analyzing it and engaging this on uh, discussions. Um, I love, um, you know, just the community that the Episcopal Church brings and the community that I've entered and made from it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think as Chol was saying, you have. I think the biggest challenge is to, you know, having strong faith is like you have to go through some sort of, for lack of a better word, turmoil. Um, and currently, actually, I'm at the hospital because my sister got in a really bad car accident. And then kind of just everything that's going on in the world with COVID and all, like, all the protests, like, it's just kind of a lot right now. But I've actually found that my faith has gotten a lot stronger during this time. I've been praying a lot more, thinking about God a lot more. So kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of ironic how all that kind of helps your faith, you know, when it seems like everything's going all wrong. Um, you know, I think, I don't know what I'm saying now, but I'm just kind of feeling a lot right now. All right. Uh, for me, I just uh, started with my, uh, everything started with my great-grandfather. He's pretty much the, the first person to become an Egligan back in, uh, uh, maybe, uh, I guess, my, grand, my grandfather, father. So it would be, uh, I was just yeah, around 100 years ago. He's actually the first one to, to make the history of uh, their village. He's uh, the first one uh, due to the fact that uh, when the, Bur uh, the Burmese the government c 
okay? They ask everybody in the village, you go and bow down to the monk or you will be, uh, you'll be killed. And my great grandfather chose to stay home. He said, he told everybody to go, but he chose to stay home and, and they didn't kill him. So uh, he's, he's the first one to show ex the first example of faith. Even if he have to die, he's willing to die for his faith. Same goes to my grandfather. He been through a lot. He have seen a lot through war. Uh, he has seen a war since he was later on. Now he's, oh, he's over 80s. And to my parents, my, my, both of, uh, my, uh, my father, both of his parents died when he was later. So we have to live with his siblings and then they have to run around many different places due to war. And now, and then my parents have to flee to Thailand. I was born in there and baptized in the, in the border. It wasn't too long until it got burned down. Then we have to move to a different camps, after camp, after camps. Uh, yeah, it does show me the example of, uh, I grew up in a different world uh, 12, uh, when I was just here from, uh, when I was born to uh, 12 years old, I see a different things because where I'm from, majority of people are Buddhist. And each question you face sometimes because uh, we go to church. My, my day is the Sabbath after this and my mom is Anglican. Uh, uh, so it makes me attend both churches weeks. So I just go to school five days and the church two days. I can barely remember anything, but I actually learn a lot. Uh, it's a good thing because uh, Buddhists, they do things differently, and uh, they, I mean, the culture is different, but as a people, we actually work together, even in a ref refugee camp, it's hard times. We have no hope, we have no hope, but we stick together, and we stick together, and, and uh, the church, the priest, always keep the people uh, faith strong, and you know, the leaders to not give up hope even though there are so much divisions and caused by the enemy, so many uh, suicides, so many uh, people want to jail, and uh, it's, it's so many things. And uh, it's a different world. It's a different world. Where we're from, we're from a mystery place. I mean, you see diff you see things. There are things that you cannot find around this world. Uh, but the current state where I'm from, uh, my grandfather told me uh, many different things. But... Like faith is, faith is the thing that keeps me strong. Because sometimes I feel like I'm losing hope, but I always have to pray. Uh, God always, God always uh, have a better plan for me, even if I uh, I am not going on the right path in life. Uh, everybody are going different. Uh, some people go in a smooth way. Some people are going the hard way. But always have faith. Faith. If you have faith, it doesn't matter where you go in life. Uh, it will all, always hold you up. Uh, to be the best example you can be for others and to be the life of God. Thank you. I'd love to ask if there's anything that you wish Americans understood about refugees or the refugee resettlement process. Well, I, I, I would, you know, many of the viewers that I hear today may know this. But in case if anybody didn't know it, is to let everyone know that refugees are folks just like everybody else. Uh, they want safety. Uh, they want to 
they want their children to go to good school. They want opportunities. They want chances in life. And um, it's just unfortunate that in the world they live in, those opportunities and those chances are not presented. And what really set us apart as American is that we get to see those people that are constantly crying out in refugee camps, that are constantly yearning for us to give them a hand. And we reach out to them. We call them and we say, you know what? We are people of God and we welcome you here. Have a second shot since your first one didn't work. So it is important that the work that, that, that we do as Americans, that that work never go in vain. The work that we put our God first and replicate the love that the church teaches us, which is to show mercy at all times, to always look at our neighbors and, and, and see if they are bleeding, that, that that blood that they are bleeding, that, that, that hardship that they are going through, that we try to look at them and share and tell, let them know and hold their hand. Let them know that in Christ we do share your struggles. Although we may not be in the same place, we do share your struggle. Those are the things that set us apart as American. And those are the things that, especially as a former refugee, that we do appreciate about American. That your work, the mercy, the care, the, 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 the outreach that you do, that the outreach give people like myself a chance to defy a generational curse that we, did, that, that we have been going through, to be able to break the chain that, that we have went through as, as, as people. I'm the first to ever go to school in my family, in my village. Uh, and, and this, to me, without the generosity and the mercy of Christian and people who believe that people should have second chances in life, people who go beyond just words of love, but action of love. Uh, people like myself are able to stand here today as a father, as somebody that is offering a uh, better life to my children and offering uh, the best of me to my community. All of this is possible because of the generosity and the willingness to go above the rhetoric that, 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 that rejects those of us that are looking for second chances. So from the bottom of my heart, I wanna thank everyone, both all of you that are in the video with me, those of you who are listening, those of you who are across the world that are committed Episcopalian, that are committed uh, Christian, to always know that your, your generosity is never in vain, that your generosity uplift life, your generosity and caring give people chances to be better in life. It's gonna be really hard to follow up <laughs> what police said. Um, I think what I'll say is two things. The first one being, um, I love to take a global perspective on current events and just things in general. And so studying refugee integration in Jordan and the context of Jordan um, is, was dramatically different, but then there are also some similarities as well to what we're seeing here in, in the United States. Um, and so I just really encourage um, reader or viewers here to do research on um, issues of 
that refugees face in other contexts, um, such as like the Syrian, um, Syrian refugees, Yemen refugees, um, South Sudanese, Sudanese, you know, just uh, there are a lot of different types of refugees displaced or placed all over the world. And then the second thing I wanted to say is um, kind of given the time that we are in currently, um, especially with uh, Black Lives Matter, um, the experiences of uh, Black refugees are incredible, incredibly um, complex and, and nuanced. Um, you, you have the skin color, but then you also have the status, um, and then you have all these other kind of intersecting identities that <laughs> go go into you know our experiences and things like that. So I just really encourage you to engage in those kind of conversations. Um, this con this issue is very 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 complex, um, and the only way we can really truly learn is by engaging in conversation and, and talking with each other. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I guess I was uh, I would just say uh, small details about that be refugee. Just uh, uh, we always want uh, I mean a be refugee where I'm from is we are blinded. We have nowhere to go. I mean, I'm so glad that the world, uh, the world, and the leaders, and all those who are who have love for one another in the world, to uh, to uh, help us uh, go through the process. Is the process to come to uh, to go to any other countries in the world? It's not easy. You have to get medical check. You have to get background check. Everything uh, before uh, we can come to the United States, and to make sure you are okay before you can come and everything is uh i'm very grateful for all the people who uh who did that and that, i mean just uh it's a it's a light i mean uh, actually uh, and also like i said uh refugee the word refugee is not only the people who are registered as a refugee there are a lot of people in this world who are refugee and and i refuse to be a refugee for example where i'm from uh I mean, there are way more, let's just say, uh, only 20, 10 to 20% of people are registered as a refugee, and the rest are uh, being refused to uh, refuse to uh, be a refugee, so they have to find another way, uh, another way of life. I mean, I went back this year, December and January, uh, right before the pandemic started, I actually came back on time, and it's, it's a different world there. It's a... It's, it's pretty when you think about uh, everything is there the, I mean the biggest thing you will see is the car as I can say and uh, that you don't see any building like you might see in the office the court the laws the laws everything uh, there is we, we are pretty much a oh, hundred years behind that's all I can say uh, but all, always like I said that's why I always uh, I'm very thankful for here I mean for me personally, uh, all I can be honest with you is that uh, uh, if I have country, if I have country, I, I don't need to come here. I can stay in my country. I mean, the world is a beautiful place. Everywhere you can make a, a, play, a, better, a better place in this world, everybody can do their own job. It's just where we're we from. It's just there are no hope. I mean, you live and you die. So uh, maybe we come here. I'm very thankful to God to open the way for us. We have... We have, I believe, 70,000. I believe it's uh, more than 70,000 now to the United States of my people. And it's, it's the best opportunity for, for us because back before, 
for, for each one person to come to the United States, it costs so much money. I know how we have people graduate from college, the high school every year. Uh, it's, it gives me hopes. And uh, not only the United States, around the world, people are graduating, the education level is going up, and uh, uh, the news are spreading, and uh, the justice are being taken place by slowly, by slowly, I hope, and I always pray to God uh, for justice not uh, around the world and America, we have problem, but like I said, I always have faith that God will everything is in God's hands, so we'll always pray and do our best ability uh, to serve one another in this world. Thank you, Tiso. And I, I think it goes without saying from, from Kendall and from Rashad and myself, we are just so grateful. It's been, it has been such a blessing to spend time with the three of you and get to know you. Um, I want to welcome Father Eshmael into this last question um, to conclude our, our time together, our panel discussion. Um, we just want to open the floor for the most open-ended question possible, which is, is there anything else um, that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? And we'll do the same answer order. And then Father Eshmael, if you'd like to join us at the end, we'd love to hear from you as well. So over to you, Chol. So, so two things. I, I think <clears throat> when I came to America, United States to be exact, um, one of the challenging things I have found in my faith was to remain faithful. Uh, the reason being is, is that America is such a land of opportunities. There's so much abundance here. And if, if you're not careful, careful, you'll find yourself, you know, pushing God aside and thinking that, you know, you don't need, you don't need him anymore because there is so much here, uh, especially in terms of us as, as new Americans, you know, you, you pray to God when we were in camps just to be able to, sleep somewhere with light, just to be able to have shoes in your feet and have clean uh, running water and being able to have hospitals and, and schools to go to. You know, just the very, very basic things. Then we used, like I said, we used to find ourselves dropping on our knees to, to ask God for a way out. But when we came to the United States, that need and, 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 and wanting and the want of basic things was, was not there anymore because everything was around you. So rather than dropping down on your knees and praying to God for, for, for help, it wasn't as much, which for me, it, came, it brought me to really think that if this is what I'm seeing, how about the Americans that have lived here for generations and continue to live here with this much abundance that I can see? And yet I say there's so much abundance as, as, as a refugee, which I don't have, you know, possession of. But what about those that have possession of such abundance? Where is God in their life? Um, I, have to, I had to come to understand and meditate through the fact that as Christians, as people that have faith, our most temptation is in when we feel like we don't need God because there's everything around us. As Episcopalian, I think it is important for us to know that even if we have all these basic things, that we continue to be faithful, 
because at this time this is when God really needs us. When we don't need when we don't need God, God needs us to to keep going with Him. And 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 that should show in our action in whatever we do to always remember that God is everything. And just to just to just to close, um, I think it's important that we we remember that wherever you are, as you advocate for refugees and, and, and immigrants, that the rhetoric out there that it doesn't take, that, that the, the process is not rigorous enough. I think that's not true. Uh, for me to be able to come to the United States, I started in 1997, and I did not come to the United States until 2001. That's four years. If that is not rigorous, I don't know what else is rigorous. Uh, if there was anything, they would have found something. So as, as people that are driven by love, by a courage to see other people doing better, I think we, we have to solidify our fight against those who say that, you know, that people seeking second chances life shouldn't be here. So I just want to thank everybody for, for allowing us this opportunity. And, and continuing to, to fight for, for, the, uh, for the refugees that are here, former refugees that are here, and those that are still in camp and looking for opportunities to come to the United States. So thank you. Um, awesome. Could I have you repeat, repeat the question once again? I'm happy to, of course. It's just an open-ended question. If there's anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with today, the floor is yours. Thank you. Well, I mean, I could say a lot, um, just, you know, when I reflect on, you know, my life and the life of my parents and my family growing up in the United States, I went to, I have the privilege of going to really diverse uh, middle schools and high schools and elementary schools, um, and then, you know, sitting, uh, sitting refugee integration in Jordan. Um, you know, it's, I'm still, you know, really processing a lot of, of things, um, but I just really, really, really wanted to thank each and every single person present today. Um, this was an awesome webinar, and I'm really, really glad that I had the privilege of being asked to be a panelist, um, and then despite having the craziest day uh, in a long time, like still being able to be present with you guys. Um, unfortunately, I think I have to go, but if uh, you guys would like to reach out to me, um, I'll, if you reach out to Allison, I'd be more than happy to um, give out my um, email to take uh, any questions specific um, for me. Um, and thankfully, my sister is getting discharged from the hospital. She's doing fine. She just has a huge knot on her head. Uh, she got hit on the driver's side, and so that made her like hit her skin well. Um, it was just some really, really scary times. We shared a lot of hugs and a lot of tears, but thanks be to God, <laughs> everything it's all right. Um, again, thank you guys so much for this opportunity, and I hope to see you all soon. Bye. Thanks so much, Bye. And Tisa, over to you. Um, I guess I will. <clears throat> I guess the last thing I will say is that, uh, like Jesus always said, love God and love your neighbors. Always keep that in mind. Have faith. Uh, just uh, always. Uh, the goal is as a Christians or uh, as Christians to be the light of the world and. I always try to be the best example we can be. Uh, as you all may know, uh, there are many things going on in the world. And we, our, some of our faith are being tested. Uh, but always uh, 
always pray to God for the best solutions and for the leaders and for for the justice and uh, uh, always seek God knowledge uh, for a better future. Thank you. And Father Eshmael, over to you. Okay. Thank you. Um, just I listen. Uh, um, I was opposite of the situation that daughter um, had because I came with my children. I was adult, and it started uh, zero. I started uh, working uh, um, parking as a parking attendant. I went to school here, and now just I think I want to say. Uh, refugees, they are not burden. Now, me, my wife, my children, they are serving. We are uh, like a, my son and uh, my wife, she, they are working at nursing home and helping uh, pandemic people, nursing everyone, helping everyone. We are uh, now contributing to this society. And I believe even this country established by, <laughs> this country established by um, refugees. And I believe one of the question was, yeah, that people came as a refugee here. And I hope this uh, panel help others to understand and be more sensitive about uh, other human beings. And I want to just end my words. Um, uh, I went to the United Nations, but uh, however, I didn't uh, look for the poem. It's a poem that uh, it is still in an entrance of the United Nations that um, wrote by Sadi. Uh, I want to read the um, translation in English. And uh, you know, Sadi was um, uh, lived in my hometown too. Human beings are members of a whole in creation of one essence and soul. If one members is afflicted with pain other members uneasy will remain. If you know sympathy for human pain, the name of human you can retain. And also everyone mentioned is it like if Christ came to provide the salvation. Jesus Christ came to bring a light to the darkness. Jesus gave his life for salvation, reconciliation, bringing love instead of the hatred. And I hope, especially with this uh, movement of the justice, I hope we go in a new direction that we can be more look like a Jesus. Okay. That's it for me.
Alrighty. Um, well, again, thank you everyone for um, participating in our webinar. You've added so much to the conversation, so much more than I could possibly ever add. <laughs> but uh, I'll just take a few minutes to um, explore just some of the developments in the last several months um, with regard to refugees in this period of pandemic, worldwide pandemic from COVID-19. So um, as you all know, because we've all been living it, <laughs> um, in around mid-March, most of the, the world sort of shut down um, economically and um, as far as international travel and whatnot. And that was the case as well for um, refugee resettlement around the world. The first major development in response to COVID-19 relating to refugees was the suspension of refugee resettlement travel by UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, and IOM, the International Organization for Migration. These two organizations are responsible for arranging refugee travel to third countries. Um, I'm happy to report that some refugees have been admitted to the United States if they have dire and serious health needs. Um, and additionally, they've continued to resettle the um, the folks on Nauru Island, <laughs> which is a part of Australia, that the United States contracted with Australia to resettle at the end of the Obama administration. I'm not sure why exactly they those folks have been coming, but they have been um, over the course of the last three months. But in general, that's just an aside, but in general, <laughs> most refugee travel has been halted since March 19th, unfortunately. Um, the pandemic also threatens refugee camps around the world. Refugees often live in precarious environments with limited access to adequate housing, health services, food, etc. Um, refugees in some of the most delicate hotspots around the world, such as Sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, and um, Northern South America are facing a seriously difficult time as the virus continues its uh, march across the globe. UNHCR is stepping up health, water, sanitation, and hygiene services to protect refugees and displaced people. They're working with governments which lead the coronavirus response to ensure that people forced to flee are included in preparation and response plans. Unfortunately, there's very little data currently about the impact of COVID-19 on refugees. Um, hopefully, as time goes on, better data will, will come forward and um, we'll be able to get a better picture of how, um, how the virus has spread in refugee communities or in refugee camps around the world. Um, it's more important than ever that U.S. lawmakers remember the plight of refugees and um, provide emergency funding to support refugees, both overseas and here in the United States. Fortunately, Congress addressed the international side of the issue in the CARES Act um, that was passed um, at the end of March and signed into law by President Trump on March 27th. The CARES Act includes $350 million for Migration and Refugee Assistance, MRA, which is an account in the State Department's budget that aids refugees overseas. Um, the CARES Act also includes $258 million for USAID's International Disaster Assistance Account, um, which provides humanitarian assistance to internally displaced persons in crisis situations around the world. So these are, these are basically refugees who um, 
are still in their home countries. So they, they, but they've been displaced from their home, from their, their home communities, but they've, they've had to um, flee to other parts of their own countries. They, so they basically, they haven't crossed an international border. Um, uh, and we applaud Congress for appropriating these critical funds. Um, unfortunately, none of the emergency bills thus far have included additional funds to assist refugees currently in the United States or the agencies that serve them. And we certainly encourage members of Congress to address these concerns as they continue uh, consider the next steps of their pandemic response. I should note, however, that um, many of the, the enhanced provisions of the social welfare state um, that apply to all American citizens also apply to refugees. Refugees have immediate access to um, assistance like Medicaid, like um, food stamps, um, like housing assistance. So the enhanced assistance that Congress has provided um, to the general population also does apply to refugees who qualify for those programs as well. Now let's talk about how you can be an advocate. Advocacy, in a nutshell, is sharing your views with politicians to encourage them to take a particular course of action. It's a fundamental element of liberal democracy. Politicians work for you and not the other way around. They have an obligation to hear your views and respond to them. Advocacy is explicitly protected in the US Constitution under the First Amendment's prohibition on laws abridging the right to petition the government for redress of grievances. Liberty is a beautiful thing. Now, what about faith-based advocacy? For one, it most certainly is constitutional. See the First Amendment's free exercise clause. And I use this image of um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, during the civil rights movement with his, his, his arm in arm with someone wearing a, a collar, um, hopefully an Episcopal priest, not sure um, if he is, um, just to, to highlight the fact that it's important to note that religion has played a crucial role in a wide array of social justice movements across um, American history, from the anti-slavery movement um, in the 19th century to the civil rights movement in the 20th century, to the immigrant rights movement and many other movements today. People of faith are people of conscience, and the values we bring to the table, rooted in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, have the power to change the world for the better. We must take our seat at the table and stand for our values in the public square. Your voice as a person of faith matters. And the Episcopal Church has long supported refugee resettlement um, as, a, as an outgrowth of our faith. In the 1930s, local parishes collected donations to provide steamship passage for Jewish refugees fleeing Nazi Europe. Out of this effort, the Presiding Bishops Fund for World Relief was born, um, the forerunner organization to Episcopal Relief and Development and Episcopal Migration Ministries. Through the mid and late 20th century, the Episcopal Church partnered with other faith-based organizations to resettle those oppressed by the Iron Curtain and the genocides of Southeast Asia. In the 1980s, Episcopal Migration Ministries was formally established and in partnership with a network of affiliate agencies, dioceses, parishes, and volunteers, it is today one of only nine national agencies through which all refugees are resettled in the United States. And given the um, current situation with COVID-19 um, and the pandemic, we in the church have had to resort to creative new ways to engage Episcopalians in advocacy around a variety of issues, including refugee resettlement. 
even in the midst of this most unusual and difficult time, the work goes on to seek justice for refugees. There are many ways we can engage our lawmakers without being physically in their presence. We can make phone calls, send emails, or write postcards, for instance. These are all really important elements of advocacy. And that's a picture of, in the previous slide, of um, the Bishop of Maine, uh, Thomas Brown, who uh, was in Washington last fall advocating for refugees <laughs> with Senator Susan Collins from Maine. Um, so how do you engage in advocacy? As you engage in advocacy, either by phone or email or postcard, there are three things you wanna tell your congressional leaders, who you are, why you care, and what you want. Each of these elements is important. They need to know your backstory, where you're from, and very importantly, whether or not they represent you. They also need to know why this issue is important to you, what motivates you to care enough to send a postcard or to pick up the phone and call them. They also need to know, crucially, what specific action you want them to take in relation to the issue. You should always lobby with a specific ask for the lawmaker. Um, so here we have our slide on social media advocacy. Um, that's not uh, like, contacting your lawmakers is obviously more important, but as you do it, it's great to, to show the world, your friends, your people in your networks, um, what you're doing. And we have hashtags that you can use um, to magnify your um, advocacy online when you post pictures of your letter or um, your postcard to your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram or what have you. And we also have our Action Day Toolkit that also has um, tweet suggestions. Thanks, Rashad. Um, and a, another opportunity for you is to practice advocacy with your family. So one of the first steps you can take is discussing refugees with your family, explaining why the issue matters to you. Um, if you have children in middle school or above, you can invite them to share what they already know about refugees and how it might matter to them in line with their values and morals. Um, and if your families are not well-versed about refugees, you can watch this brief video from UNHCR, um, which we will also share with you. And one activity you can do as a family is to draft a letter or a postcard, and you can have your children draw pictures or color, expressing why they support refugees, why it's important to your family to advocate for the refugee resettlement program. Um, and in addition to drafting a letter or mailing a postcard, you can also create a family pledge where you pledge to continue advocacy for refugees. Um, and you can put together a document as a family outlining the ways that your family can continue to be involved in ensuring welcome for refugees. And Rashad, did you wanna go over the advocacy ask today? Yep, I'm happy to. Sure. Um, so our specific ask for you all um, for, from this webinar is to ask, urge your members of Congress to co-sponsor the GRACE Act. Um, the GRACE Act, or the Guaranteed Refugee Admission Ceiling Enhancement Act, um, would do two things. It would set a minimum presidential determination on refugee admissions of 95,000 each fiscal year. Um, that's important because um, the, every year, every fiscal year in September, the president decides how many refugees we're gonna bring in to the country the, the next fiscal year. And um, during the current administration, the president has set that number ever lower and lower to the point, I think one of my colleagues mentioned it's 18,000 for the current fiscal year, um, which is the lowest it's ever been in the entire history of the program of uh, 40 years. So this would ensure 
that at, at, a, bare, at a bare minimum, we bring in 95,000 refugees each fiscal year. And that number um, is, is key because it is the average number of refugees um, that, or the average refugee determination um, of all the presidents since 1980 when the refugee program was established. So from 1980 to 2017, that's the average number um, of refugee um, targets. And then it would also mandate quarterly reporting on refugee admissions um, while also increasing transparency and oversight and those sort of things to help better to help Congress better exercise its um, oversight responsibilities of the administration as it implements the um, refugee program and ensures that the program is administered by the president in good faith and in, in concert with um, the will of Congress when it passed the Refugee Act of 1980. Thanks so much, Rashad. So we're gonna head into a Q&A time right now. And folks, we do hope that you'll stick through the Q&A. After the Q&A, we're gonna share with you our take action steps that we want you to follow up with um, and what we're gonna be sending to you. Um, but for now, I wanna open the floor. The way for you to submit questions is in the chat box. So I will, <laughs> I will bide time while we wait for some of those questions to come in. And I will just ask a question to get, a, get us started, <laughs> questions to come in. And Rashad, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Um, since you, your role with the Office of Government Relations in a normal time, in a pre-COVID time, was to be doing meetings with members of Congress on specific issues. So I wonder if you can speak to why advocacy continues to be so important during the pandemic and how that has changed. Like what are, what are advocates like us, like folks in the pews, what should we be doing in a pandemic time and how does it look different from what you previously were doing? Sure. Well, I think the most immediate obvious um, difference is that we're not allowed to have in-person meetings with um, congressional staff. So everything has gone online, everything has gone over the phone. Um, but that work still continues because the business of government continues every day and is e even more crucial um, than before because of the fact that we're dealing with this pandemic and then the needs of um, vulnerable people of all types, but especially including refugees, continue to, um, to, to press on, on the national agenda and are even greater given the, the pandemic. So um, we've continued to meet with uh, congressional staff um, virtually to, um, to press the uh, concerns and the, the issues that the Episcopal Church considers important um, in this area, but also in many other areas as well. And then as far as um, local folks, grassroots folks, Episcopalians in the pews, um, just as in normal times, the the work you do in speaking to your lawmakers and um, corroborating and, and, and um, reflecting the action alerts we send and, and the, the messaging that we send that we want you to send to your members of Congress just helps us to amplify the voice of the church um, on Capitol Hill and among lawmakers. Um, we are uh, all, we all play an important role in um, in advocacy. Advocacy is uh, what's called grass tops. So that's what I engage in, we're like work, you know, going with um, spe specifically to meet with lawmakers and their staff, um, but also grassroots. So that's all the folks throughout the country who are the constituents of the lawmakers and, and the, the work you do to hold their feet to the fire and 
um, share with them the issues that are important to you. It all works together to, um, to as part of our advocacy strategy as the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations. Thanks, Rashad. And that was perfect because it allowed folks to get their questions into the chat box. And um, Tiso, Chol, and Father Eshmael, if you if you want to um, weigh in on any of these questions, please just unmute or, or raise your hand and I'll acknowledge you. Um, so one of our questions, I think I'm going to field it to Kendall, but I'd also welcome any other panelists to respond. Does the Episcopal Church or EMM have any World Refugee Day events? Um, World Refugee Day, for those who don't know, is this Saturday, June 20th. It's one of the reasons we're having this webinar this week. Um, so Kendall, could you speak a little bit to um, kind of our toolkits and things that we offer for World Refugee Day? Yeah, certainly. Um, so this year, in honor of World Refugee Day, we were going to be meeting on Capitol Hill um, for this exact reason, um, so that we could be advocating. But since we weren't able to do that, we've done this webinar. So we have an advocacy toolkit, um, which is our offering for World Refugee Day, and it's what we would commend to you. Um, in previous years, we've also um, recommended videos for you to watch that have a discussion guide. Um, there's four different films about refugees that uh, PBS put out. Um, you can also go to the RCUSA website, that's Refugee Council USA, and they have a list of all the virtual events that are happening all over the country, which would also include our affiliates and any of their virtual events. So we can also send that in the follow-up email. Thank you so much, Kendall. I'm just looking at a, a few other questions. Um, I think I can take a stab at the answer to this one, but, um, but Chol, I see, I see that you've unmuted. Please go ahead. So, so I just wanna, add a little bit to uh, what we do here in Syracuse, New York uh, for World Refugee Day. For the last probably uh, uh, probably 15 years, we have been doing World Refugee Day, but in the midst of about four, five years ago, they had stopped. Uh, and those who used to, to put up the uh, the World Refugee Day celebration where, where service providers or the resettlement agencies. But I guess they got tired of it because it takes takes so much. So in return, as, as New American, we picked it up. Uh, there's many of us that, that came together from all different countries, from Sub-Saharan African, from Middle East, from Southeast Asia, Europe, everywhere, South America, we all came together. And on average, we, I think the, 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 a year before last year, we, there were like 2,000 attendees that came to that. And what we do is uh, we do parade, especially this year now with COVID, one of our approach is that we are gonna be marching with our own flags. We are going to be going to hospitals and those uh, frontline, where frontline workers are and we, we go to those places to thank them and for, for what they are doing and for being there for refugees and then we will end at the city hall. So those are the th stuff that we are doing to, to, to celebrate uh, uh, World Refugee Day and to encourage other people to, to get involved as well in the lives of refugees. So, and it's going to be June 20th as well. Thanks, Joel. And that's actually such an important point that you raised. We would encourage everyone listening to always look for the immigrant and refugee-led organizing and organizations in your area and follow the lead. 
um, of new Americans. So thank you so much, Chul, for sharing what's happening in Syracuse. That's really important. Um, there's a question. Um, if the USA admits 95,000 refugees per year, as per the GRACE Act, where would that rank us internationally for refugee acceptance on both a per capita and an absolute number basis? Rishal, you want to take that? That's a good question. Um, I don't know exactly the exact figure off the top of my head. It would put us um, a lot higher than we currently are. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, uh, because we're one of the laggards and on in both in absolute terms and in um, in relative terms, because the United States is a country of 330 million people. Um, even bringing in 95,000 refugees is a drop in the bucket, um, considering our, our overall population. And I like to use the comparison of um, Canada. Canada, our neighbor to the north, which is one-tenth the size of the United States. Canada has 35 million um, people. The United States has 330 million people. Um, at the beginning of the of the current prime minister's term back in 2015, um, Canada, <laughs> it was a, this is a campaign pledge that Prime Minister Trudeau made um, when he was elected in October of 2015. He said he wanted to bring in 25,000 Syrian refugees within the first three months of his, um, his government. And he did it in two. <laughs> they brought in 25,000 refugees um, in the space of two months. From the time it was he was he became prime minister in November, and then by January they had brought in twenty five thousand refugees to a country one tenth the size of the United States, just to give you the, an idea of the of the you know comparison. So the United States can bring can has the capacity to bring in far more refugees than we currently do, and not only can we but we should. Um, to set an example to the rest of the world. As the United States has pull, pulled back from refugee resettlement, other countries in the world have done the same. And that has led to um, a, a lessening of the number of refugees resettled across the world. And with 25 million people in, um, in refugee situations around the world, um, we know that, that not everyone can be resettled. Um, third country resettlement is only available to a very, very small percentage of the refugees around the world. But um, the United States, could be doing a heck of a lot more than we are doing now and we should be doing more because um, we should be a moral leader for the world. Thank you, Rashad. Um, Father Eshmael, I see that your hand is raised. Yeah. Um, I believe so many people, they don't know uh, how much um, like a, a United States provided for the refugee when they, they come here. I believe uh, we have a worst in the United States. It's a worst support for refugee. They pay just for three months mm -hmm. rent. Then you have to find a job. And compared with the other places, it's so, so, so different. I believe so many people, they don't know. Uh, when I came, you know, I had my three children, my wife and my mother. And if church didn't support me, I couldn't go anywhere, you know? It's good, I believe, just not me, we need to increase numbers, also increase quality. Mm -hmm. Increase the quality 
for refugees. Uh, like I pay for my citizenship. Based on the conversation I had, it's, none of the other refugee pay for their <laughs> citizenship in other countries. Mm -hmm. Just here. And, uh, you know, my hope is that people understand the situation, ask questions, because uh, sometimes they don't have any idea. They don't have any idea. And second thing, sorry, I want to, I wish uh, Refugee Day, uh, there's, uh, refugee is not part of our calendars. If you look like uh, other uh, things in the calendar, but Refugee Day is not. I hope we can put a Refugee Day in a United States calendar. Yeah. Thank you, Father Ashmael. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to transition us to closing today, um, and I want to thank our panelists for your time um, and uh, audience. I hope that you know. Um, I, I hope you can appreciate how much time, effort, energy, and generosity and graciousness our panelists have given us today. Um, they put a lot of time into making this a really important um, time for us all to be together. So thank you, Chol. Thank you, Father Eshmael. Thank you, Tiso. And thank you to Lala, who had to leave us earlier. So let me quickly share my screen and we will talk through closeout. So later this evening, we will be sending you a follow-up email that will include several things. One is an Episcopal action toolkit. Um, there's also a link to an action alert, which is literally so easy. You can just click, send a letter to your members of Congress immediately. And we really hope you'll do that. But we also hope that you'll deepen your advocacy and that you'll call your members of Congress. Congressional offices track um, constituent feedback on different issues. And so if you're able to send a postcard, send an email, make a call, that's going to matter more than just doing one action. Another thing that we're going to send to you is a nine things congregations can do to support refugees, which is beyond advocacy. What else can you be doing as a congregation to take action? Um, we hope you'll join the Episcopal Public Policy Network. We'll have a link to that in the follow up email as well. And then two more things. Um, during this virtual time, EMM has worked hard to create resources for congregations to use virtually. We have an EMM book club where we've created discussion guides and prayers around, I believe it's four or five different titles at this point, all books either written by refugee authors or about, um, about refugee situations the world over. So we really commend those to you and those will be linked in your email as well. Finally, we have a podcast called Hometown that you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We produce the webinar audio as a podcast as well. So for folks that you know who might really have enjoyed listening today but couldn't attend live, they can, of course, watch the video, but they can also listen to the podcast version of today's presentation. Finally, we have one more webinar in this three-part series. It's on Tuesday, June 23rd from 3.30 to 5 p.m. Eastern. And we'll be speaking about advocacy for asylum, which is critical in this moment that the Trump administration continues to try to dismantle asylum protections in this country. So please do join us next week as well. And then we'll leave you with our different places to find us online. You can find EMM at EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org. You can find the Episcopal Public Policy Network at Advocacy.EpiscopalChurch.org. And we are on social media as well. Um, again, panelists, we can't thank you enough for your time today, um, for your effort, and for your advocacy. Um, thank you all for joining us, and good night.
Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We pray you will feel moved to explore the resources that are shared during the webinar to advocate for refugees and the Refugee Resettlement Program. We invite you to join us for the last webinar of the series, Episcopal Action on Asylum on June 23rd at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is going to be a critical webinar because of a number of changes the Trump administration has put into place on asylum protections. So please do register and join us. The registration can be found at bit.ly forward slash June advocacy. And the information will also be made available in the podcast notes and on the EMM website. Make a donation to support the Refugee Resettlement and Welcome Ministry of the Episcopal Church. Visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. Until next time, peace be with you and all those you consider home.